Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. The world is mourning the loss of Queen Elizabeth II, who lived a truly remarkable life and recently died at the age of 96. So what does her passing mean to the globe, to the very special U.S. and British relationship? And also, what was it like meeting the Queen firsthand? Well, joining us now to discuss all of this is Lee Cohen. Lee is a senior fellow of the UK think tanks, the Bow Group, and also the Bruges Group. He was an advisor on Great Britain to the US House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee, and also founded the Congressional United Kingdom Caucus. Lee, great to have you here on the podcast. Rita, I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. What was your reaction to the passing of this incredible woman? Well, as someone who's written so many articles over the years, over the decades on the Queen, I knew it was inevitable someday that I was going to have to write my last one. And I dreaded that moment. You can't imagine. I tried so many times because several of the outlets that publish my work have asked for them early over the years so they would have them. And I could just never bring myself to do it. And then when this news came last week, though I've thought about this so much, I wasn't prepared for it. And it was shocking, terribly shocking, because we had just seen the Queen the very day before installing the new prime minister, the kissing of the hand ceremony. So for her to have gone from making a semi-public appearance for which she was photographed and then to have passed away just like that was terribly shocking. You know, you talk about her meeting, you know, the new prime minister, and this was her 15th, I think, prime minister. I mean, she is a walking history book. She is a walking history book. And since you brought that up, what's particularly interesting is that in the United Kingdom, they split the office that our president occupies two roles, which is head of state and head of government. In the UK, the monarch is the head of state and the prime minister is the head of government. And it's the monarch's job to actually invite the head of government, the prime minister, to form a government in the monarch's name. And that was the very last act of this queen who made a promise on her 21st birthday in 1947, that she would work her whole life long. And that she did, Rita. What do you make of also, by the way, the new prime minister? Interesting here, it's a female prime minister. And, you know, we've had a number, of course, in England, we've seen that through the years. But what do you think of her? Well, I think Liz Truss, the new prime minister, is very capable. She came up through the ranks. She held a lot of important positions. She was foreign minister. She had a high-level position in the Treasury. She had an important foreign trade position where she really made her mark. And she is a very interesting person because while she's now, the prime minister is the head of, always one of the head of the parties, the party that's in power. 
and the party that gets the most votes. So she's the head of the conservative party, but she didn't start off as a conservative. She actually started off as a liberal Democrat. And along the way, during her years at Oxford, she realized she had an epiphany and realized that personal responsibility was really her guiding principle. And she decided to make the switch to become a conservative. And I can tell you that today she's carried that through. And the conservatives are quite pleased because she's really in her rhetoric, in her intentions as she's represented them. She, I believe, will uphold the mantle of conservative principles, low taxes and sort of smaller government that are traditional conservative principles. She's really become identified with that. So I'm quite heartened by that. She comes in in a bit of a difficult moment when the UK is experiencing very severe cost of living crisis and inflation that's We have staggering inflation here in the United States. Theirs is even higher at the moment. So she's going to have to get to work lickety-split to address these issues. And I believe she's very capable. And I was also a fan, for the record, of her predecessor, Boris Johnson, who carried off the near impossible by actually making Brexit happen. They were at a stalemate before that, and Boris actually made it happen. But he had some things along the way that caused his party to lose faith in him. And that's why they called, there was a crisis of confidence in his leadership. They called an election, and that's why Liz Truss arose. She was the winner. You know, she would meet, or the prime minister will meet, with the head of the monarchy. We know you talked about Boris Johnson. He would meet with the queen through the years. Talk about how special those meetings are with the prime minister and then the queen, and soon to be, of course, and right now, King Charles. Well, the queen, well, right, I have to be careful now because I'm so used to saying the queen, now the king, but the monarch meets traditionally every week with the prime minister. No one really knows what goes on in those meetings. Like so much in Britain, a lot happens behind the curtain. And so that's where the prime minister can really unburden himself to the monarch. And the monarch, imagine a monarch that has spent 70 years on the throne and had the collective knowledge and wisdom that Queen Elizabeth had, meeting with all the heads of state from all the countries, the knowledge she gained, she must have been just a marvelous resource for all of the 15 prime ministers that came on her watch. But the really interesting thing is she had 15 to her reign, to her 70-year reign. There were 15. There were 14 presidents of the United States that coincided with her reign as one person, as one head of state. So that really is staggering. What made her so remarkable, as you're pointing out, because she did have such wisdom? Well, the queen had wisdom, but she was absolutely, I don't want to say universally beloved, because there's always a current that thinks it's time for the monarchy to end, that they don't serve the modern times. But overwhelmingly, the queen would 
whole, almost always 80% of the population, of the British population approved of her. And she was admirable, Rita, on so many levels. You know, let's start with that she absolutely fulfilled what she said she was going to do. How many world leaders do that? She told us back in 1947, and I believe I mentioned this when we opened the show, back in 1947 on her 21st birthday, she made a pledge to the people of her realms. Well, it wasn't her realms then, but to the people of her father's realms, that she would devote her whole life to their service. And that she did, as we said, she worked until the day before she died. So there was that. Her enduring presence reassured us, all of us, British or not, that with her on the throne, that all was in order, that we could make it through any crisis. She practically never disappointed. She never wavered. She was dependable. She occupied a moral high ground that no politician ever could. And that's partially owing to the way the British Constitution endows the monarchy, because it says the monarch is not supposed to be political. So it gives the monarch cover for that. One thing that's often talked about is the commitment of the queen to her faith. And she took very seriously her role as defender of the faith and Supreme Governor of the Church of England. And because of her consecrated vows, the holy vows that she took in her coronation, she had an unbreakable commitment to her people, which she took very seriously and saw through to the end. This is a woman who projected stability and calm, especially in times of crisis. Let's think back not too long ago to the COVID epidemic when She made that famous speech as no one ever could with an authority that no one else ever could that we're going to get through this. She said, we will meet again, which harkened back to the Vera Lynn song in World War II that we will meet again. And it had special meaning, particularly to older people. But I think even the younger people who were reassured by that they got it. And she didn't just reassure in those ways her own people. Back when this country was savagely attacked on September 11, 2001, the Queen famously sent a letter with the phrase that to this day, I get choked up thinking about it. She consoled us as no one else could with the words, grief is the price we pay for love. And in fact, I used that in an obituary that I wrote of her because it had such meaning and application because she said it. And now, sadly, it's us grieving for her. So this is a woman who remained a public servant and the best possible public servant all her life and resisted the urge, though she was the most famous woman in the world and the most photographed, she resisted the urge to descend into mere celebrity. So there were so many great things and admirable things about her. And this is why not just the people that she represented, the British people, but the whole world feels such a great loss for her passing. 
And Lee, she also understood war because she, of course, grew up in war. You talk about, you know, her understanding what America went through on September 11th and that bond that she has had, which we're going to get into about U.S.-British relations. But also, she was also a driver in the Women's Auxiliary, right? I mean, she also understood that. She was there, uh, you know, during the Blitz. She was there during the Blitz. In fact, very recently, on September 13th, there was a very poignant anniversary, and that was September 13, 1940, is the day that the Germans bombed Buckingham Palace, and the Queen's mother, also named Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth the Queen Mother, made that famous remark that she's glad we were bombed because now we can look the East End in the face. Now, this cemented the affection for the royal family in the minds of the people at the time, because Britain was so beleaguered, they were standing alone in this war. France had fallen, and all of the Western powers had fallen to the Germans, and Britain was standing alone. And here you had Buckingham Palace, so symbolic, was bombed, and the royal family could have decamped anywhere they wanted. They had certainly had many choices of royal residences to go to, but instead they chose to stay. And that established the royal family, the Windsors, as one of us in the hearts of the people. And I believe that this had a profound effect on their daughter, then Princess Elizabeth, who was shaped by that. The Queen said of her father that he was a living symbol of our steadfastness. And then she followed that model and she in turn became that. But I say all that in response to your question about war. So not only did the queen understand war from that experience and understand the bond that could be created and the goodwill that could be created by showing courage and steadfastness during this time, But the Queen is actually the head of the armed forces in the United Kingdom. And if we contrast this with the United States, which doesn't have a monarch, here are soldiers and service people. They fight in the name of the country and the flag. In Britain, the members of the military fight in the name of the Queen. So it's a very... It's a much more emotional bond, a much more almost sacred bond. And it absolutely means that her passing is so felt by not just the general population, but the military. And everyone is sorrowful to not have this great and dutiful leader. Yeah, no doubt. And you, by the way, are one of the lucky ones who actually got to meet her. What was that like? Well, Rita, meeting the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh in 2007 was one of the most singular and notable moments of my life. It was a moment that I never thought would happen, but I was then working as advisor on the UK to the U.S. House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee, And I had founded a congressional group called the United Kingdom Caucus. And as a reward for that, I was one of the 500 or so 
people invited to a garden party at the British Embassy when the Queen and Prince Philip came through in 2007. Now, this was a particularly poignant state visit because it was the Queen's last visit to the United States, which, of course, one didn't know at the time. But the Queen really stopped traveling in 2015, and she made her last visit to the United States in 2007. Having said that, as I said, it was not just me. There were many people, the great and the good of Washington, and some of the not-so-good as well, the ambassadors and politicians and journalists and just everyone you can imagine. And it was almost choreographed because there was a strike-up of the band, and then the royal couple appeared. You never saw them sort of enter. They just appeared and started walking the Queen with the ambassador going one way, and the Duke of Edinburgh with other embassy officials going another way. They divided and conquered. And I thought, well, this is so exciting to be here. I'll get a glimpse of the Queen. When, in fact, I was stunned, the British ambassador, the then British ambassador, Sir David Manning, actually motioned for me to come out of the crowd, as he did with some of the other people, And he actually introduced me, and I had a couple seconds one-on-one with the Queen. And I broke protocol to shake her hand because they told us not to do that, but it was sort of a reflex. And I managed to mumble out because I was so awestruck by meeting this figure who I had read about for practically all my life and studied and contemplated. And I managed to squeak out, Your Majesty, it's a great honor to meet you. And she took my hand and shook it, which she didn't have to do, was under no obligation to do that. And I'm so glad she did. And she had a twinkle in her eye and then she moved on. And I had a completely different experience when the Duke of Edinburgh came along because he was actually quite chatty. And he said to me, young man, what is your affiliation here? And I said, sir, I have founded a group in the Congress that celebrates the great relationship between our two nations. And he raised his eyebrows. And just as quick as that, he said, oh, I do hope there's more than just two members. And I said, not to worry, sir. It's a very popular and well-attended group. And he smiled and moved on. But it was such a lovely memory. And he was so witty and charming and his wife so awe-inspiring. I will take that memory to my dying day. Wow. What a powerful and beautiful moment. And before I let you go, Lee, what do you think is in store for U.S.-British relationships now with, you know, King Charles? Right. So... It's interesting because the monarch, well, the monarchy under Queen Elizabeth was particularly attentive to the U.S.-U.K. special relationship. There are times when Downing Street and the White House are not in step. I can think of two that stand out in my mind, the Vietnam conflict and the Suez crisis. And Normally, we're in step and we support each other on everything. But these were two times when they weren't in step. 
And while there was tension between president and prime ministers, the queen was always there to smooth things over, as she could do, because she has it within her gift, as the British say, to give things like state visits, which are so to invite presidents to come and there are lavish speeches and exchanges of gifts and amazing banquets. And it really shows the world the importance of the U.S.-U.K. relationship and the importance of the noble values that we share, the values of freedom and democracy. And the Queen, and perhaps this goes back too to her attachment to World War II, because the Queen certainly had very positive impressions of the United States when, you know, we came to the aid of Britain and helped them win the war and vanquish the Nazis. So the Queen has always felt very well disposed and happy about the United States. She was always happy to welcome presidents and to accept their hospitality to come here. Of course, she had some were her favorites. It's well known. I don't think I'm speaking out of school by saying that probably Ronald Reagan was the Queen's favorite president. They had shared a love of riding and riding horses, that is. And she had some that were less favorites, and I, I won't call out any names here, and there, but there are good stories around those as well. Charles, I believe, will be a very good friend to the United States as well. His reign's going to be a little different. Let's not forget that it's going to be a much shorter reign. So he will cram a lot more into a shorter reign. But Charles, the monarchy, the wonderful thing about the monarchy is each monarch can put their own stamp on it. So he's obviously been the product. He's had the great blessing of 70 years observing his mother in action. And let us hope that those experiences and the wisdom that he gained from watching her so closely will shape a reign that turns out to be very successful. Yeah, let's hope so, because that special relationship, especially with America and UK, is so pivotal through the years. And thank you for so much just for sharing so many of your great reflections. Lee Cohen, so great to have you here on the podcast to cover issues about protecting Great Britain, protecting the world, and of course, protecting America. Wonderful to have you here. An absolute pleasure, Rita. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. America.